Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, coming to you from your speakers. This is Jackie from Houston and Rahul from Connecticut. What's up, guys? How's it going, Rahul? How are you doing? I am doing great. So we're going to have an interesting podcast today for the listeners? I think so. It's just great to have the Premier League back, so everything Tell me else about is it. a bonus. Did you wake up bright and early for that first kickoff of the weekend? I did. I was in bed watching it on my laptop, and it was worth it. <laughs> I was going to say, those days where we have to wake up very early and it's it's a terrible game, it's not so fun. I feel bad for our West Coast listeners. It's like 4.30 in the morning for them. Yeah, yeah. And I know when you win, it's great. First game of the weekend, but then losing is a little... Ruins all weekend, so... Yeah, so when we win, it gives me a burst of energy to start my day early. So why don't we move on and get started? You want to kick it off? Yes. So first game of the Premier League weekend right after the international break, Chelsea-Newcastle. And we both came into this game, you know, we had done our preview uh, prior to this, and we both felt confident, and that was that was rewarding to see in that Chelsea did go ahead and win the game. Not the predictions we had put in, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But a 2-0 win for Chelsea and, and a dominant performance in all aspects. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The first few minutes, Newcastle woke up trying to play really, really well. But once Chelsea put their foot on the ball, they really gained control. From that moment on, Newcastle was pretty much pegged back for the entire first half. There were some great moments really, really early on with Timo Werner and things. And of course, Hakim Ziyech doing his cross in the 10th minute, which ended up being an own goal. But just the sheer pressure they put on Newcastle forced that goal to come in. Yeah. So, I mean, just to step back a little, Lampard played his best team available. We, you and I both felt that Silva wouldn't play when that was the case. And so Rudiger comes in and, and slots in perfectly. Which is weird to say because a few months ago we were all going after Rudiger and saying, you know, he wasn't good enough and, and didn't didn't need to be starting. But I think he's taken this in his stride and, and done well. Uh Havertz missed out as well, but apart from that, the the team was solid. And like you said, we started off very well. We we got the goal, um uh, and from from then on we were just comfortable that we should have made it two or three before the halftime. Right. Uh, we had about 85% possession halfway through the first half. I don't think I've ever seen a Chelsea game where we've controlled that first half the way we did. That was really, really dominant performance in all areas of the pitch. Yeah, yeah. And really, Newcastle just wanted to play on the break and play through maximum. And we shut it down every time. And if we didn't, then we blocked it and, and prevented our goal. So that was good to see. So talk a little bit about my favorite player that scored the second goal, <laughs> Tammy Abraham. So I know that they Newcastle started the second half decently well. They actually kind of changed their game plan a little bit. Chelsea did come through and Tammy Abraham scored the goal in the 65th minute. I'll let you talk about Tammy Abraham because I want to focus on the man who made the goal. He was brilliant, 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 brilliant. So our German international, Timo Werner, ran past three players and put it on a silver plate for Tammy Abraham. And he's been really great every single game, putting in the energy, putting in the runs, and very, very unselfish play there. Yeah, he's 
he, you know, we both prefer him to be playing down the middle, but when he plays on the left wing, he still gets chances. He still makes plays. He still puts assists in. And he came into this game two goals in his last two Premier League games. And in all honesty, he should have scored this time right. around too, but that didn't happen. And, and he didn't let that affect him. He went on and, like you said, made that second goal on a platter for Tammy Abraham, who really just had to put his foot through it and then put it back in the net. Um, and Werner used his pace to his advantage, and he really just didn't even stop. He he picked up the ball, looked up, and saw the space and just went for it. Well, he burnt through. That was an amazing run to see. Yeah, if I'm Steve Bruce and I'm looking at that, you know, I'm begging one of my players to just foul him. Stop him. Right. right. <laughs> Especially at one nail down, you always have a chance. Yeah, yeah. So that that pretty much killed the game for Newcastle. I know they tried, but the Werner Tammy combo worked. And and I know you're not too hot on Tammy Abraham, but he is putting in the performances. That was he scored in the Sheffield game. He scored again in this game. He scored in the Champions League. So he is getting goals. And apart from that, for me, his movement's been pretty good. Now, it's not Giroud good, which is what your point is. But I think he, he's he been doing well and he can only get better. And it's really great to see we have Timo that can slide into the left when needed. So that's been very, very helpful to have. Yeah, yeah. So I think overall, if Lampard would be very happy. We're very happy. Um, and that win put us top of the table for a few hours. A few hours, yeah. Yeah, before you know who won (laughs) with his team. But I do want to say, you know, Newcastle did come back in that second half, not necessarily to dominate, but did have some good chances. One thing I did notice, and I did hear Frank Lampard in one of his after-game interviews, Chelsea seemed to be understanding. They are a young team, but they seem to be understanding a little more about game management, how to keep the ball, how to control the ball, how to not necessarily give away give away the game, give away what I would call professional fouls to stop the gameplay for Newcastle and things like that. So it seems like they're learning as they go through every game and they're getting better with each game and gelling better in each game. Yeah, there's something that seems to be fitting well with everyone. And it seems like they're playing for each other. It doesn't matter who plays. Like I said, Havertz was out. Uh, Silva was out. Pulisic has been out. But whoever comes in does a job and does it for the team. Right. There doesn't seem to be one person that's like, give me the ball and I want to do it all, which is good to see because in the past we relied on one player, which was Eden Hazard. And even William to some extent last season. Yeah, which is a little sad to say. <laughs> Different story today, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, you're right. And and I think the heartbeat of this team right now is N'Golo Kante. I completely agree with you. Him being in, maybe it's his favorite position, maybe it's not, but for us fans... I think that his is is his best position. He just seems to be alive. Yeah, it it brings out the best in him in the interceptions and in cutting plays and and making tackles. There was this image going around Instagram. I'm sure you've seen it, where he puts in a tackle and and the Newcastle player is holding his shirt up to yeah. cover Conte's face, and it's really a no look tackle that he gets in and makes. Um, and apart from that, he still contributes going forward. Now, he may not be there when we score the goal, but he he makes the run to distract other midfield players in the opposition team. 
just an example in I think the 93rd or 92nd minute we were on the on the break and Mount crosses it across to Angolo Conte who's run across the field in 93rd minute after playing a full game that that's man, one thing about him yeah he's got legs for days yeah he just doesn't get tired yeah and I must say I think him being in this position has allowed him to take some of the pressure off of attacking I think he's better at being in the defensive position in the field so there's no pressure in going forward so he can focus on what his strengths seem to be and then everything that comes on top of that is a plus the running the going forward all that's a plus but him breaking down play is where we see the best value out of him yeah he just has the knack for knowing where to be and when to be you know to break up a play so that's so who was your man of the match because you seem to be talking a lot about Conte here I my man of the match was Conte yeah I know Sky Sports gave it to Tammy. Uh, Premier League app says Chilwell, which both good shots for me, but Conte on, off the ball and doing all that hard work as a fan, that's, I like seeing goals. I like seeing people make sure. and stuff, but I, I value that, that hard work and maybe I'm a little old school, but that's kind of what makes the game what it is. I agree with you. For me, my man of the match was going to be Timo Werner. I think that run alone got me very, very excited, especially at 6.30 in the morning central time. It's good to have some energy to wake you up. It was definitely great to watch him play. Yeah, T- Werner is just Werner. I mean, he's he just doesn't stop. He's almost a, a Conte in attack. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but I just want to give a shout-out to Reese James, who's turning into a real, real player. Not Not that he wasn't, but He's realizing his potential right now and keeping Espelicueta out of the team, which which isn't an easy thing to do. He's the club. Absolutely. Yeah. But he's he's a real unit at that right back position. He's got the strength. He's got the pace. There was one point in that game where he took on two Newcastle players and, and just eased past them. Right. Um, so it's it's great to see. And then he just goes ahead and puts in great crosses. And it's, I don't want to get too excited because I know we have a big game coming up, but. It's looking good, and I'm happy. Yeah, Reese James is one of those players that is looking really, really good. He's definitely at a young age where he can just keep going up. He's got some tough competition for the England right-back position. But to be honest with you, I think between him and Ben Chilwell, England have got the fallbacks covered coming out of Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, his his real competition right now for that position in England is Alexander-Arnold. But- right. If Reese can defend and attack, which I think he does very well, that gives him the edge over any of the other right backs that are coming up. Right. So, the, all in all, a great performance, a good win. Uh, we move on to the next game on Tuesday night in the Champions League, and then we got the big one in the weekend. But I think Lampard's got to be pleased. We've been not conceding any goals. We've been playing very well. We've been scoring. I know just to take it back a little bit against Manchester United, there was there was a little bit of talk of Chelsea being negative and just came to defend. But I think that that result gave team the team belief that you know we can defend and we can play as a unit. And everything else that's come after, I think the, that United game was the basis for it. Right. And and what is it now? What five wins in a row or something like that? Yeah, five, I believe. So. Hopefully, so the for, the is working. Yeah, hopefully we make it six and then seven. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that. So you and I predicted wins for Chelsea, obviously. You had gone with the 3 nothing. I went with the 4-1. 
neither of those came true, but what came true was the win. So, Correct. And yeah. I'm not too worried about it, given what we've talked about with game management and controlling the game and the performance overall. And definitely we had several more opportunities to make it four, five, six, nail even. But yeah. I think just controlling the game was nice to watch. Yes, yes. Even when Newcastle put on Andy Carroll, who's always right. always in trouble. You know, Zuma handled it, Rudiger handled it. I, I'm, I'm just happy with the way things yeah. went that day. Uh, but yeah, so that, that kind of wraps up our Chelsea uh, review. We will move on to the next big game on Saturday, which was Manchester City versus Spurs. And I think you and I both had a feeling that Spurs have something special going on in the background with Jose Mourinho, right. with the squad they've put together, and and that was seen in this game to a two nil win for them. Yeah, you and I talked about I don't know which podcast it was, but in the past about troubles in in the background at Manchester City. Pep Guardiola did sign a new two year deal. I don't know if that was what was causing the troubles in the background. Didn't really seem to help them in this game. Uh, Mourinho came prepared. I think I texted you as a Jose Mourinho masterclass. They were really, really good quality for that for that game. Yeah, yeah. They they knew exactly what they had to do and how to stop Manchester City. And he played Sissoko and Horberg in midfield. But really, those two, every time they were defending, just fell back into a back six. Right. And that just stopped any way for Manchester City to get in behind them, get their fullbacks in. It was just they just shut them down. Now, I know City had a few chances, which they'll always have chances, but, you know, Spurs I, were just flawless in, in defense. And when they went the other way, they're deadly on that counterattack. Yeah, for sure. I think Harry Kane looks like a different player this season. He, he's been a brilliant player for many, many years in the Premier League, but Jose Mourinho has taken him to the next level. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was uh, something that, you know, I know you haven't seen that Amazon um, documentary, but that's what he said to him in their one-on-one, Harry Kane and Jose Mourinho, was Jose said, listen, I know you're a great striker, but now I'm going to take you to the next level and help you explode onto the scene. Which, you know, at that point you would think would be all about the goals, but it's really turned into the assists. Yep, assist and the connecting of the midfield and the forge. And in fact, I saw him running back to defend on several occasions as well. Yeah. So just giving him that excitement and energy just to play for the team. Yeah. And Harry Kane is, I think he's 26 or 27 now. So he's approaching his prime. This is the time for him to win something at, at the top of his prime with the club that he loves and has played for for so many years. Yeah, I mean, if he's stayed here so long, he's obviously wants to win something with Spurs. But it's now or never for him, I would say. You know, I think he's 27. And if this doesn't work out for him this season, he goes to turns 28. And, you know, he's had injury problems. So, really, he's putting in the work and he's getting rewarded. They're top of the table. Uh, obviously, we don't win any trophies in November. But for him, it's good to see that whatever he's doing is working out for the team. And the way Jose uses them now is obviously as a striker, but. He he drops deeper, comes right. and distracts the midfield, takes the center backs with him, which then allows the wingers and Son and, and Bergwijn in this past game to run in behind. A lot of room for them. And then he's he's able to find them and pick out that ball even after he's dropping deep, exactly. which has made this a really deadly combination. Exactly. And he now has nine assists in the Premier League. Son has nine goals. So it's just working out for them. 
Yeah, I think uh, we had predicted this game completely different. I know you had predicted Spurs to win, but I, City played okay, but I don't know if we were right in saying there are some problems in the background. A Manchester City of a year or two ago probably would have squeezed out a result, whether it was a draw or a win. But they just, I think you said it, we, we could have played, or they could have played for another 90, 180 minutes, and I don't think the ball would have gone in the net. Just between Spurs, Spurs' organization plus City, just not having that clinical finish. Yeah, so moving on to City, like you were talking about, I I still think there's something going on in the background there, and I don't know if the players are just tired of the way Pep does things in training. When I heard the news of Pep signing the new deal, I thought, all right, maybe that's what was was the distraction. Yeah, but that didn't work. And yeah, it's it's a little weird in the sense that they dominate possession, but when they're closed out like they were on Saturday by the Spurs midfield and defense, they they just kind of become void with all the ball. They just pass it back and forward, and and their fullbacks, and it just doesn't work. And I think he waited a little too long to change it up. Right. The whole talk about Sterling being fit, and maybe he wasn't, maybe he really was injured, and Jose turned it into a Sterling stayed home and, 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 you know, just rested. He came on too late. Foden came on too late. Uh, Aguero didn't even make it, which tells me that he's obviously not match fit. He was on the right. Why put him on the bench if he's not even going to make an appearance? Right. So that, I think that's City's third consecutive game away from home where they haven't won. They played Leeds, um, and now they're playing Tottenham. And it just, for a team that has title ambitions and a team that wants to be right at the top, that doesn't look good for them. Yeah, and it put, I think Tottenham kind of was flawless, like you said earlier, and their mind was seeing the table, and it put them right at the top of the table after this win. So definitely Jose Mourinho playing his mind games, maybe with Sterling. But also he gets into the mind of his players and just gets them to finish the game properly. Yeah, that and you know, they that that early goal really just set the tone because right. you do no matter what, Tottenham have this one goal and they're gonna defend it with their lives and with the pace, like I said, on, on the counter, they were always going to have more chances to finish it off. And one of those chances, which was a 99% perfect counterattack. Yeah. Just watch it and, and the ball switches over from the right to the left. They find, you know, Kane, they find um, Son, and obviously Kane ends up being offside. But if Son doesn't play that final ball to him and scores, that's a perfect counterattack. And yeah. Jose Mourinho thrives off of those. You know, I got to say one thing because you touched on a little bit about the tactics of Pep Guardiola and how he waited too long to change it or whatnot. Tottenham under Mourinho this season, and it pains me to say this, they're pretty versatile. For this game, they did sit, sit deep and he changed his tactics. But there are other games where he knows he's going to be in the front foot. And we've seen where Tottenham just explode in, in Mourinho's words and just tear teams apart. So having that frequency of changes or having that ability to change their players and make sure they're playing based on who their opponent is, is it's amazing to watch. And I hate saying that because it's Tottenham sitting at the top of the league. Yeah, I mean, that that's Jose Mourinho, though. he knows how to get results, especially in his second season, which is what he's going through right now. Right. And he brings on Lo Celso and Lo Celso gets the second goal and, and that just, you know, is Mourinho. And obviously he didn't know that Lo Celso was going to score, but he changes it up and, and it works out for him. 
And so when things are going for you, they're really going for you. And that's what's going down with Jose. And And you got to give credit to them. They lost their first game of the season against Newcastle at home and sorry, against Everton at home. And um, they've bounced back. Yeah, for sure. And they're looking good. So hopefully for the next game, which we'll talk about at a later time, they won't look so good. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, I don't really know where City go from here now. We expect them to be challenging and, and bounce back, but it's just one thing after another, and maybe they start focusing on the Champions League. It's very early to say that, but he signed a two-year new, two new deal, so that, that's got to be the focus at some point that they, they win the Champions League. Yeah, probably. All right. Now let's move on to the other side of Manchester uh, and Manchester United versus West Brom. So I just have a quick opening statement here. Is Pogba really injured? If you ask Ole, yes. And if he if he wasn't and if there was no real knock, then for the love of God, why didn't he play? Because right. they needed someone like him in this game. So, you know, we have a lot of friends that are Man United fans. Actually, my own father is a Man United fan. Uh, love him or hate hate him, Paul Pogba is a fantastic football player. So when he goes off on international duty and he plays the way he does, which he always seems to perform wonderfully for France, when he comes back to Man United, he just doesn't seem to be the same player. We find out he has a knock. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a little bit of a smile on his face. I don't know if that's truly a knock or not. We'll let the fans decide. But going through this whole process... He's going with Fred and Matic in the midfield every time against West Brom, with all due respect to them. But you would think Man United can have a far more attacking team, maybe Pogba and um, Bruno Fernandes together playing higher, almost like what Frank Lampard has done, finding Mount and Havertz to play together with one defensive midfielder. Um, do you think he got his team selection wrong before we get into the details? I think so. Now, let's say Pogba is really injured you know, going off of all what Ole said and, and not doubting him. You still have Van de Beek on the bench. You bought this guy. He's performed every time he's come on for you. And he still can't start. But in a game like this, as you said, you know, play one defensive midfielder and let the other two midfielders in Bruno and, and Van de Beek do their thing up front. It's really, for me, Manchester United have a lot of players in that squad that are not Manchester United players. And I'm sorry to say that because as a professional, if you're being picked by a club, you know, that's their choice. But you and I watched Manchester United dominate for years. For years, yeah. We hated Manchester United and Sir Alex and everything he did. And now we kind of want Ole to stay and we like the way things are and the way, you know. Right their midfield and stuff and their players. But keeping my bias aside as a Chelsea fan, this isn't the United I want to see in the Premier League. Not at all. And, you know, just to touch on Van de Beek, I understand that he's young, but he's one of those players that made it to the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Champions League just a couple of seasons ago. It isn't a 17-year-old they bought that they're going to develop. It is a fully developed player. I, I do understand that he's young, but he's just not getting the game time. You've you've gone out and splashed, not necessarily the cash, but the salary on Cavani. And he seemed like he was active and moving and has definitely a, a goal threat. But even he's not getting the opportunity to play as much as he should. 
yeah, it's I, maybe Cavani isn't fit. You know, he he was out for a long time and, and wasn't part of that PSG team that made it to the Champions League final. So that's fine. I, I can see why maybe he left him out. But as soon as he brings him on, you can see the the change in in mentality and the change in quality up front. Right. Another statement I'm going to make that may offend or, or not go down well with United fans is Anthony Marshall isn't a Manchester United worth forward. That is a bold statement. Uh, for how much they spent for him and to watch him and, and, you know, he almost seems like he's not interested in what's going on. He'll get right. it done. He'll try to score. He'll do his bit. But if they really want to be challenging for titles and be in the, in the top two of the league, they cannot do that with Marshall. I'm sorry. But so let me ask you a question because Anthony Marshall on the surface looks like he has some raw talent there. Is the problem just the players? And I know we're straying a little bit further off than the review. Is the problem just the players or does the manager have some sort of input here? You can take players that were at Chelsea years and years and years. Someone like a Jose Mourinho comes in. Frank Lampard was always a good player. John Terry was always a good player. When he comes in, they explode, quote-unquote. You can take a Harry Kane who's always been a good player. Maybe I'm not Marshall. I'm putting his name in, in a different category, but Mourinho takes these players and has them explode. Even with Man United, to be perfectly honest, when he was their manager, he took what we would call a decent squad or even an average squad, maybe, some may say, and took them to second place. And people said it wasn't good enough. And, and here we are adding to that same squad and they're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, the, the this Manchester United issue goes way beyond the playing squad, the manager right now. I think there's a lot of issues above both of those groups in the board and, and with Ed Woodward. And they don't seem to put in the investments that they should when they have things going well for them. So, for example, they finished third last season. Now, you would think they would push on and, and give Ole the players that he asked. And if it's not Sancho, it's the next person on, 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 the, on the list. But to wait till the last day and then bring in Cavani, which, again, no disrespect to Cavani, but is that He's really, on the other end of his career at this point exactly. as well. Yeah. Is that really who Manchester United should be going for? No. And you know, know you know what? You think you think about player recruitment and you think about Manchester United, and I'm sorry to any Manchester United fans that are listening to us talk about this, but you have Fred, Matic, Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, Scott McTominay. I think those are the ones I can remember off the top of my head. You have five central midfielders. You typically play two in the middle or maybe three in the middle. Adding Donny van de Beek, although he is a good player, is another central midfielder. So it's almost asking for what type of recruitment is this? Where is this strategic? Did you decide you were going to remove some midfielders and it didn't happen? Maybe you should let one go before you bring one in. It's almost like he's available. He's a decent price that we can afford. He may not be our first, second, third, fourth. Again, no disrespect to him because I think he's a top, top player. But is he a Manchester United player? And that's the word you keep asking. Is he a Manchester United player? Not necessarily for the fact that, okay, he's available and he's good. Does he fit in their plans as well? Is there a position for him that he can start or even come off the bench and bring value to? 
And it's just, it's right. What you're saying is it goes far across because if Solskjaer is picking him, that's fine. But is there somebody on the other end doing an analysis and saying, really, this doesn't fit in with our squad and we're going to spend the money here instead of putting it on maybe a striker that we need, a central striker, if not Cavani, somebody young who's going to be their focal point or maybe a, a right back, which they have, a right winger, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. 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 It's it, like, we, like we're saying, it's beyond just the manager of the squad. And it's, it's a cycle at United now since Sir Alex left. Bring in a new manager, give him a couple of players, let him do his thing, let him achieve in the first season, then stop supporting him in the market in the second season. Things fall apart. They somehow make it to the end of the second season, third season. They, or maybe he doesn't even make it to the end of the second season. And then they start that cycle all over again. And this is what you and I have noticed at Chelsea for many years with the manager where let's take your blast from the past manager on several podcasts to go. If you haven't listened to it, go take a listen. Carlo Ancelotti in his first season won the Premier League. In the second season, he finished second in the Premier League and was still let go. And it's, it just forms that cycle of what do you do now? What's the mission of the, of the club? What's the style of the club? And Man United are kind of going through that now. And that's where when you and I speak about Frank Lampard, we hope he stays and builds something for the next five, six, seven years. Looking at what Klopp has done as an example, where he did not win right off the first couple of seasons, but you could see what he was building. Yeah. And maybe Ole isn't the right guy, but right. you've hired him, so you might as well support him. Right. Um, so anyway, coming back to this game, it was a very average game. You know, you're playing the bottom one of the bottom teams in the league. They haven't won the game. And you have to win it by taking not only a penalty, but a retaken penalty. And then you hold on for the win and, and get the one nothing. But nothing exciting. Nothing to write home about. It's And it's sad because... This was this could have been a game, and maybe it was influenced by the international break and, and players going away and coming back and not having time to train. But this could have been the game that almost starts their season again. Get that first win at home in style and feel good about yourself. And, all right, now let's go to the next game and, and then go to the next game and put something together. Like I was saying, Chelsea from that last Manchester United game have built something. Manchester United have almost gone the other way in that they've lost at Istanbul. They lost against Arsenal. Um, and now they struggle to win against West Brom. So it's, it's not a good time to be a Manchester United fan. And I hope that changes for, for them and for the league, because a good and strong Manchester United always makes it interesting. The last question before we move on, because I know we spent a lot of time on Manchester United. Will the manager stay till the end of the season? That's that's a tough one because we've said this in the past. Every time his job's on the line, right, finds a result, and he did that against Everton, and they made it through, and they played this game on on Saturday. Um, so it really comes down to come January, maybe after the holidays, if Manchester United are off that fourth spot, and things aren't looking good, and you know Pogba is still out of the team, and and it's just not going well for them. Then I think they make a change. Um, but then you got to ask: Does someone like a Pochettino want to come in mid-season 
struggle to make fix it. Fix the mess, yeah. Yeah, fix the mess, struggle to make it maybe to the fourth spot or not even make it and then spend the next season in Europa. Um, so, yeah, that's it's an interesting thing happening with Manchester United and maybe they just let Ole finish it through and see how it goes and maybe he pulls it out and, and once again qualifies for the Champions League like he did last season. Right. But right well, now, it's, it's not happy days. <laughs> well, good luck to our Manchester United fans out there. It's a tough time. Yeah, and, and speaking of Manchester United fans, we had a question from one of our podcast fans, which was how many, well, you know, Manchester United get a lot of penalties. Um, and in fact, they've gotten about 18 penalties since the start of last season. They've scored 13 of them, uh, 13 of 79 goals they've scored, which is about 16% of their goals have come from penalties. So the question was, how many of their penalties have led to wins? So just looking how, at this, how many is it? Just looking at this season, they won with a penalty at Brighton, three-two. They won again with a penalty at West Brom this past weekend. So that's two out of eight games, which comes to about twenty-five percent of their games this season have been down to penalty wins. Wow, I'm not surprised to see that though. <laughs> so. It was a fair penalty, no no, no questions or whatever. Retaking it was fair too. The goalie was off his line, but it's, they seem to be relying on it and it's working for them. So We'll see how long their luck lasts. And Chester United. Yeah. So why don't we move on and talk a little bit about Leeds and Arsenal. That seemed to be a, um, a droll game, but there were some heated moments that did happen in there. Yeah, I mean, this was one of those nil-nil games where Leeds did everything in their power to score and Arsenal did everything in their power to prevent them, but also prevent themselves from winning the game. Right. Um, so, again, with Arsenal, it's similar to Manchester United in that they had a long-term manager. They've now gone through two managers after that, or one, and they on the second one. And apart from that, there's other things going on at the club with Ozil being left out of the squad, similar to the Pogba situation where he's been in and out. William goes off to Dubai for this past international break. And then two days before the Premier League comes back, we find out Ceballos and Luis are fighting and training, and Luis left Ceballos with a bloodied nose. And all this just doesn't help a squad and a new manager focus on, on the task at hand, which is winning games and getting points and, and moving up the table. And you could see that in this game where Arsenal just didn't look like themselves. And it's, it's interesting to say because Mikel Arteta seemed to have maybe a new formula, maybe something different that would change how they're playing and spur them on to do something different. But they just, again, there's some inconsistency there. There are games that they should be able to control with the quality of players that they have, and they just can't get the job done. Yeah, they, he's been playing Aubameyang out on the left. He plays him down the middle now. They go the first 45 minutes without any shots on target, which is, I mean, come on, this is Arsenal. And no disrespect to Leeds. Leeds are a great team. They've got a great manager. They work extremely hard for each other. But at the end of the day, you have Aubameyang, who's been Golden Boot winner, who's scored goals for fun, 
and you're just not getting the best out of him. Yeah, I just can't understand it. And they play William on one side, they play Pepe on the other, and then William gets subbed off at halftime, Pepe gets sent off. They bring on two youngsters and Reese Nelson and Saka, who immediately as they come on have done more than their two senior wingers in five minutes. And that tells you everything you need to know about Arsenal. Yeah, just no drive, no determination at all. Yeah, and all the determination and drive is coming from Ceballos and Luis and training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Pe- and then Pepe gets himself sent off, which is, what are you doing? I mean, I know him and Alioski had a few incidents leading up to that sending off, but you've just come back from halftime. You, you know, you've gotten instructions from your manager on what to do and how to how to get the game, and then you go and headbutt a player and get sent off. And you could tell Arteta was pissed off by it when he had his post-match interview, and, and he said it wasn't acceptable. And as a manager and as a squad, no one should accept that. Absolutely. And you're talking about is there not world record signing, but their club record signing at 75 odd million. And to hear him do this, especially when Arsenal are not leading the pack by any means, they're down in, down on the second half of the table. Every point counts at this point, early on in the season still, but every point does count. When a player go, goes and does that, it's just infuriating to watch. Yeah, it's it points to a discipline issue in the squad. Yeah, yeah, they, for sure. This was their fifth red card since Arteta has taken over, and it's the most of any team in that time period. Wow. So it's just just not acceptable, like he said. And so they they struggled to finish that game out. Leeds should have won it. Like I said, they hit the bar once. They hit the post twice. They were pushing at the end. They pretty they threw everything at it. And just they just couldn't find it. And so it ends 0-0. Arteta has got to be happier between the two managers. But that just extends their Arsenal's record of not scoring a goal from open play in seven and a half hours of Premier League football. That is ridiculous. That's that's five games. And you telling me you have Aubameyang, you have Lacazette, you have Pepe, you have William, you have Saka, you have Reese Nelson, you have Ceballos, you have um, Xhaka. And it's set up to be a decent attacking squad. Yeah. And you just can't find a goal from open play. And that begs the question is where and why isn't Ozil in the squad? You talk about needing a creative player. You talk about needing someone that can right. pick up a game it's... for you. And you've left your most creative player on 300,000 pounds a week at home to live tweet your games. It's just... There's, yeah, it's crazy. Club, it's crazy to hear then. Yeah, this club's just from top to bottom a mess. And going back to Manchester United, they have some issues from top down as well. So it it could be going back to, you know, having long-term managers that have now gone and things are just taking their time to change. Yeah. As a biased Chelsea fan, it works out nicely for, for us. I don't like to see a club suffer in disarray like this, but I'm glad it's Arsenal and Man United, if any. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd rather see Manchester United doing better, but Arsenal I'm okay with. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so shall we move on to one of the last major games of the weekend? 
I, I, I don't want to because of my prediction for this game, but I guess we have to. <laughs> so why don't you start and tell me a little bit about the game? Yeah, so we had Liverpool, Leicester, everyone thought coming into this game, Liverpool would have a lot of injuries and, and you know, they're going to have issues with this game and, and Leicester are flying and we're top of the table at that point. And my prediction was a 3-1 win for Liverpool. I mean, for Leicester City, I'm sorry. And and I was completely wrong. I must admit, I've got to eat my humble pie and, and, and say that Liverpool were very, very, very good and dumb. So I watched the game. I thought the game was decent back and forth. Liverpool did play better overall than Leicester. I think sometimes when Jamie Vardy isn't firing, Leicester looks slightly off the boil a little bit. But for me, Liverpool did look... Even though they're missing some of their key players, they did look like a strong, solid squad mentality. Every single player played for everybody. You're talking about James Milner. I think he's 34 now, putting in a shift. Fabinho coming, slotting into centre-back. Joel Matip hasn't played several games, slotted in, did decently. And then they had Curtis Jones playing in midfield, who was a young player, but stepping up to the plate. It's just really nice to see when a team has that cohesion all the way from your first 11 to your bench players to not reserves, but you know, your reserve players coming from the youth squad even, and they just play for each other and they work hard and do as. And yeah, yeah, you're right. It's that word you use mentality is what I was going to say about Liverpool. They, it doesn't matter who plays. It doesn't matter who's out who's injured, doesn't none of that matters with them. And I should have known this when I made my prediction, is that Klopp's got them from top to bottom playing and 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 and, and doing everything on the same page. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're Salah or or Jota or Firmino or Curtis Jones, like you said, or if you're playing Fabinho in defense or you're playing Milner at right back. It just doesn't matter. They all play like they you know, they want to win every game. Yeah. And they are winning every game at home. There's sixty four games unbeaten at home now and and twenty two games off the all time record which is held by Chelsea. And yeah. it's difficult to see how <laughs> that run doesn't it's difficult to see how that run, you know, ends. Right. Even with these injuries, they keep winning. They find results. They keep in clean sheets without their main center back, which, you know, everyone was like, Van Dyke's out and Liverpool's going to fall apart. And they've kept clean sheets. Joe Gomez is out and they're still keeping clean sheets. Um, so, yeah, you just got to give them credit. And this is why they they won the championship last year. And they're up there right now. You know, this is indicative of having a – yeah, so, sorry to cut you off, but this is indicative of having a manager that's been there for two, three, four, five, the way that he has wanted to build something. Um, I think the right word is he's put his philosophy of mentality, his philosophy of playing style, his philosophy of never give up no matter who's starting. And that definitely shows when they do have these quote-unquote injury crisis. And this goes back to talking about some of the other clubs we've mentioned here with the constant merry-go-round, and Chelsea has gone through this, a constant merry-go-round of ma- managers really causes issues when you lose outs on some of your first key team players. 
Yeah, you're you're totally right about that. And it it scares me what Liverpool can achieve once they start getting their first team players back. Right. So they sit joint top of the table now and, and they are going to be up there come end of the season now. I agree with you. There's a choice between them and Tottenham to win this league. Having suffered Liverpool winning it last year, I'd go with Liverpool, but uh, I agree with you. I must say, though, Chelsea are not too far behind, and that's indicative of improvement, which is what we talked about very, very early on. So hopefully they can continue that momentum and continue down this pace. Yeah, yeah. you. And I think that's a good transition to just looking at the table. So Tottenham, like I said, Tottenham Liverpool sit top with 20 points. Uh, Tottenham up ahead on goal difference. Chelsea in third with 18 points. Leicester in fourth with 18 points. Chelsea up ahead again on goal difference. And then there's Southampton, Everton, and Aston Villa rounding up the top seven. And then West Ham, Wolves, and Manchester United in the top ten. So I didn't mention Arsenal, who are sitting in the bottom half of the table. I didn't mention Manchester City, who are sitting in the bottom half of the table, albeit playing one less game. And... I feel good as a Chelsea fan. We're up there. We're two points off the top. And like you said, progress is now visible in that we weren't just talking about, okay, if we make it to this point, you know, we're doing good. Or if this player starts playing well, it's more, it's now more of a holistic progress versus individual pieces. So as, as a Chelsea fan, I'm happy and I hope that we can stay there. Uh, there will be some rocky times ahead with just the number of games coming up and 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 um, um, how often we've got to play. But I trust Lampard and I trust the squad. Yep, I think it's going to be a fun season. Definitely looking at how close everybody is this early on. Of course, it's still early days, but just seeing that there's no clear pack leader or someone who's running away with the league, I think it's going to be fun to watch all the way till the end of the season. Yeah, and that's something we haven't had in the Premier League for a few seasons now. It was Manchester right. City running away, and then Liverpool ran away with it last year. So, interesting season coming up, and I hope we run away with it so we don't have to suffer <laughs> the pain of, of a title race. But either way, it'll be good to watch. I think that about wraps up the review of the Premier League weekend. Um, we don't want to go too far into Champions League and all all the teams, but if you want to give us a quick synopsis of the upcoming game tomorrow. Yeah, so we go away to France to play Rennes. Uh, this is the return game of the game we played right before the international break that we won 3 nothing, I believe. And so we sit top of the That's group, right. seven points, and we come into this game with Silva and Havertz back. They missed out the game on the weekend, like we said. Pulisic still stays in London to recover, which a little concerning that he's been out for so long. He missed the U.S. games, and we thought he'd come back, and he's still not back. But focusing on the players that are in the squad, I think we should have enough to win this game. And my predicted lineup, I would obviously go with Mendy and Goal. I would bring back Esquilaqueta just because of the game we have coming up on the weekend. Give James a rest. Yep. Silva, Zuma, center back. Uh, if the game is in the pocket by the 60th minute, I would take Silva off. 
I would play Emerson in this game. Let Silva recover. He, sure. know, he had a knock with England. So he still played against Newcastle. He was taken off. So obviously there is something there that needs to be managed. So I'd play Emerson, midfield of Kovacic, Conte, and Mount. But again, I would bring Havertz on, give him about 30, 35 minutes. And then Ziyech, Giroud, this one's for you. And Thank you. Hudson-Odoi, I would start with an attack. Yeah, I think that's a good team to start off with. We have a big squad. Why not use the big squad? Uh, it will be a good game. I think Ren are decent, but I think Chelsea's quality is going to overpower them in the end. But that's just my thinking. But I think I do agree with you on the squad, uh, starting lineup especially. Who would you? What would you go for as far as results? What would you predict? I think Ren would be a little more difficult than what they were when we played them at at the Bridge. Now I know there were no fans, and it doesn't matter. But they, we spoke about the two penalties that they they you know the second one especially that was not not too kind on them. So I think they come out fighting and and it, it make it difficult for us. So I go with a two one win. Okay, I'm not too far off from you. I think two nail and we'll keep which I'm enjoying those clean sheets. So hopefully that continues. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good to go into the weekend with a clean sheet. So that's a good prediction, and we will review the game later this week once we when we come back to do a, a Premier League preview um, for the weekend. So. We'll see how our predictions yep. went and who played and how things went down in, in the Champions League game. But moving yeah, on, that'll be our, great. Yep, moving on to our final segment of the day. It is our blast from the past. This is always a fun segment. I'm going to get kicked off with my blast from the past, and it doesn't go too far back in the history. But my blast in the past. From the past for Chelsea is William Gallas. So a lot of Chelsea fans know William Gallas. He's a top or was a top French international that signed for us from Marseille in the summer of 2001 for six million pounds, which back in the day, that was a big number. 2001 to spend six million on a center back is a huge amount. He started playing center back alongside the famous Marcel Desailly and then eventually with John Terry for a little bit. He did move and play in other positions, notably left back. He made a total of 225 appearances for us and scored 14 goals with one of the most memorable memorable goals against Tottenham Hotspur in an EPL game where he made us get the last minute winner. And that was a ridiculous, ridiculous goal. If you have not seen it, please, please look it up. I'm doing a, a little bit of name dropping here. I already talked about Marcel Desailly and John Terry. He also managed to keep... Wayne Bridge out of the squad, even though Wayne Bridge was a natural left back. Chelsea, in the summer of 2005, purchased Azir Del Horno, and he managed to keep him out as well. In 2006, he wanted out of Chelsea, was rumored to say some negative things. Uh, We ended up trading him with Arsenal for uh, Ashley Cole, who ended up being one of the best left backs to grace, not only Chelsea, but the Premier League. And in fact, at one point in time, was probably one of the best left backs in the world. Some fun facts about William Gallas is after Arsenal, he joined another London glory in the A-League before retiring. And that's William Gallas. 
that's that's a good blast from the past. Um, you know, I'm thinking about it. You said we traded him for Ashley Cole, and we ended up with the better deal, I'd say. But looking back, if I was William Gallus, I'd, I'd think I made a mistake leaving Chelsea. I would agree with you. And I don't think Chelsea wanted to sell him. I think things just turned sour somewhere along in the relationship. But I have no shame or no malice towards getting Ashley Cole out of that deal. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, we ended up with the better deal. We lost a good player, but we gained a, in, in an even better one. And we solved our left-back issues for, for years to come. Yeah. So who is your blast from the past? Well, my blast from the past isn't, isn't Chelsea-related, but it is definitely Premier League-related as we try to keep him. And he is, I will give you a phrase, and maybe you'll guess him just by that, but it goes by, feed the yak and he will score. I think I know who you're talking about, but why don't you tell us? Yes, so this is Yakubu, the Nigerian international who played for a number of Premier League teams. He started off at Portsmouth. He went to Middlesbrough, Everton, and Blackburn. And he, talk about being a poacher. He just picked off the, the goals in, in the box. And he to- scored a total of 96 Premier League goals, which is the third highest for an African player in the league. So, you, like I said, feed the yak and he will score. He definitely had goals in him. And, you know, I... It was his birthday, I believe, a day or two ago. So that's when I, I came across him and, and, and brought back memories of him playing in the Premier League. And I figured, why not put him as my uh, blast from the past? So my blast from the past is Yakubu. And if you don't know who that is, look him up. You'll see the number of goals he scored for all those teams. And and you may also come across a, a video on YouTube of his miss from the World Cup. Yep. Um, which till this day shocks me how you missed it, but things happen in life. So, yeah, that's my blast from the past. Another great blast from the past. I, I appreciate these African connections every podcast. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to keep it in Africa, but it just so happens. <laughs> I hear you. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. We tried to keep it a little bit shorter than the last one and, and touch on a number of topics. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'd love to hear back from you. Uh, we already answered one question from one of our listeners. So if you have any questions, send them our way. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram, on Twitter. It's at the premier Chels. If you don't already follow us, go at us and give us a follow. We'd love to interact with you. And We'll be back with another podcast later this week talking about the Champions League game and looking up to the upcoming weekend in the Premier League and the big one between Chelsea and Spurs. All righty. As always, thank you for the support. Appreciate everybody listening and giving us feedback. Take care all. Bye. Thank you, guys.